You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 71. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. I know you've been thinking about it. I know that very techie you is ready to come out and find the tech job of her dreams this year. Who do you turn to for the support you need to move from learning to getting hired in tech? Well, I've got some great news for you. I've got you covered with the You Are Techie Coaching Membership. We listened to our audience and we heard you ask for UX design and full stack developer options in your course content. Not to mention the getting hired strategies that have worked for so many women before you. The trifecta of courses, coaching, and community with the mentor support you need to keep moving forward into your tech career is like no other membership program out there. We have the exact skills employers are looking for. You'll learn how to maximize your income with portfolio-ready skills that hiring managers are seeking, not to mention the steps you can skip so you don't find yourself down that endless tech learning rabbit hole. Join me as we walk you step-by-step through the getting hired process in tech. Sign up at youartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I can't wait to see you in our membership. Today's podcast is a little different. I have a very special guest with me today. I've known him for the majority of my life, and he's my husband. Almost 20 years. Almost. And my partner in raising five children. You're watching the video. You're getting to see one of them in the newest edition, which we thought she would sleep through, but she's not. So I know you're going to find this conversation intriguing, if not surprising. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited. I know Ellen has been doing... 71. 71. I was going to say 72. 71. I already reported 72, so technically... Okay. (laughs) And I hear her every week go through and do these interviews, and I've never really thought of or wanted to be part of one, but... It just seems like the timing is right. We're going to talk about some things that are a little bit different, but I think it's going to help you. First question I have for you is, what's it like being married to me? He doesn't have, he doesn't know these questions ahead of time and he's a total preparer. We're going to have to give him some time. It is fun and challenging. (laughs) You mean I'm not super easy to be married to? I wouldn't have married you if you were (laughs) easy to be married to. We always have something new in our lives and To a large extent, that is because of your insatiable thirst for being better and achieving more. And so we we have a lot of fun trying new things, seeing new things. And so that there's a bit of an adventure, just like this interview without knowing many interview questions ahead of time. So let's be really specific. And then we'll go into the challenge. When we talk about new... I don't don't consider it a challenge. I think it's living life to its fullest. We, throughout our marriage, we've 
gotten new jobs, had babies, moved houses or states nearly every year. Almost every year. Almost every year. For 19 years. For 19 years. <laughs> and so it, 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 it's, it's an adventure, but, and you say challenge, and I don't, I'm sure I guess it's a challenge in some way, but it's a challenge worth pursuing because it makes life better. No, you said I'm fun and challenging. Oh. So that was the fun, that was, or new and challenging. Yes. Fun, new. Okay, what's the challenge of being married to me? Uh, well, just that the, cons- the uh, constant and consistent change mm-hmm. is somewhat antithetical to who I am as a human being. Mm-hmm. I'm, I like a little more stability in my life on a <laughs> daily basis, but it, but it makes me better. And so that, that challenge, hopefully I improve as, as we go along. Okay, interesting. Second question. Okay. Are you tired? Like right now <laughs> like or just right, generally? Like right. right now. <laughs> I am very tired right now. So uh, let's set the context a little bit. Because, I mean, what if we listen to this a year from now? It would be sure. so fun to hear. Or 10 years. Well, last night, our now one-month-old today, she's mm-hmm. one-month-old today, yeah. how exciting, decided that that she wanted to be awake in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And so you were a wonderful mother and breastfed her for about an hour. <laughs> and then Gwen, our, our beautiful daughter here, decided that it wasn't time to go to sleep. So I held her and rocked her and tried to get her to go back to sleep. And eventually she did, but only because I laid down in bed with her and held her, <laughs> which isn't a great position for her to sleep in, but not so much for me. And like not at all what they teach. I'm sure we'll get some comments on that. And not at all what we should be much tougher, right? Because we have five kids and we're raised yeah. in Catholic schools. We should be really like or, lay the hammer. Or we're much older. We're and much and older. we're taking the path of least resistance right now, which is kind of the way I feel at some point. Okay. On to the topic at hand. Do yes. you believe the world needs more women in technology? Why are we not? And then what advice would you give to a mom thinking about getting hired into So first question, do I think we need more? Mm -hmm. And I'll borrow a little bit from the work that I do to answer this question. That's the next question. Okay. Well, (laughs) maybe it'll be a nice lead in (laughs) to that is I, when I see teams in action every day as as part of my job, I coach teams, uh, work teams to, to be better. And so often they are missing components to make really great decisions. And when we don't have enough diverse perspectives on teams, yeah. we don't make the best decisions. We have blind spots as a team. And I can't tell you how many technology companies I've worked with over the last six years. And I was a part of a technology company, a leader in a technology company before then, mm-hmm. where we would be in a room having a discussion And we would be missing the female perspective on how that product impacts people, what kinds of design decisions we should make, or just general kinds of decisions that we should make. And so there's this group thing that becomes very obvious very quickly, and it's so hard to make the best decision necessary. And the best teams that I've seen have these great diverse perspectives where they feel comfortable honoring those diverse perspectives and talking it through and coming up with the best decision possible. From that standpoint, yes, we need way more women in technology because women can provide a huge amount of value and in the process feel fulfilled themselves 
by doing something good and difficult, back to that challenge thing, when we do things that are challenging, and, ch and technology can be challenging, when we do things that are challenging, we feel more alive, more fulfilled as human. So the women that are involved in that feel more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. The teams get the blessing of that diverse perspective. So yes, more women in technology, please. And then, I mean, I'll throw in the US component, like how hard is it to design technology for users right. when you yourself don't have that perspective? That's right. So that is nearly impossible. And that's the self-fulfilling prophecy of let not enough women in tech, then they go into tech, then it's not designed for them. So they think they're not good at it. Right. So then it's a problem, right. right? So that's the... But in the hiring process, if the person sitting across mm -hmm. sort of the table from you is not a secure person mm -hmm. and they're talking to you, mm -hmm. and I'll use you as an example. Okay. Like it, it, if I'm a hiring manager and I'm talking to you and I'm a bit insecure myself, mm -hmm. I'm looking to connect with you in, a meet, in an interview. And we might connect about things that don't actually create diversity of perspective on the right. team. I'm going to connect with you right. in the interview and I, now I hire you because we connected and now we have this group thing because I like you. You like me, I like you. Yeah. We're pretty similar. Right. And if, if I'm a hiring manager, I I want to look for people that make me a little uncomfortable in my in my interviews. Right. Not that I want them so far out of the company culture that they don't fit. Yeah. But but that they think a little differently so that when we create and shape this team that a really great Diversity. Right. And herein lies some of the diversity challenges is that, you know, a lot of it's totally unintentional. People don't, yes. they're not trying to exclude no. diverse perspectives. They just are more comfortable in perspectives like their own. All of us, every single yes. one of us. Yes. So the more we can get outside of our, that's, that's one of the reasons I love personal growth. If you aren't committed to personal growth, you aren't going to be willing to look at diverse perspectives. Ones that and, and also, if you're not a secure person, it's really hard to hear someone else's it is. perspective. It is. Absolutely. What advice would you give to a mom thinking about getting hired in tech? And I'm going to, while you think about it, I'm going to add this caveat that, you know, this is something we talk about a lot, right? Because it's a problem that I'm passionate about. And yes. I tell you about my audience all the time. And so you, you hear a lot of what they say and you work with a different audience, but sometimes we see completely, you know, similar concepts so but what advice would you would you give to a mom specifically number one be comfortable in your value just what we were talking about here you're bringing something to that team that is highly valued and if you are looking to pursue a career in anything tech or otherwise if you know your value you will show up to that interview to that job in an entirely different way that's kind of the i think the main thing and it relates to confidence. Having the confidence to know that when you're in when you're in a room with your team or you're doing the, the job that you've been assigned to do, it's not always going to go perfectly well. Mm -hmm. All of these all of these jobs in technology require a certain amount of critical thinking. Your personal confidence and energy might go up and down depending on the day, depending on the task. Uh, depending on the team environment and learning to work through that, think through that right. is, I guess, part two of know your value and know that it's not, you're not going to feel so valuable every single day, mm -hmm. but being able to be confident yeah. enough to work through mm -hmm. that, the, the fruit on the other side is amazing. That's good. That's good advice. Okay. Now let's maybe go into your 
like the work that you do specifically. So what do you do for a living? And then actually, how did you get started in that? Was it easy? And then I want to take us back to the backstory of like when you started. Because so for context, we I have a business and Kevin has a business. We have to explain that a lot. People always think we're in business together. But no, we actually have two separate businesses. They're they're not related. Although we both do some type of coaching. There's yes. a coaching component, but other than that, they're pretty pretty different. So what do you do? And then and then, you know, take us back. Yes. And in a broad spectrum, I'm a coach for executive teams. And that coaching involves two components. There's a smart component of that. Think of like helping them with their strategy, uh, helping them come up with the right objectives to do. And then there's a healthy component to that. It is to come up with the right strategy, come up with the right objectives mm-hmm. for their business. They have to have the right relationship with one another. They have to be able to work well together. Mm-hmm. And so we help them reduce politics and confusion on their team so that they can make the best decisions possible. And so my job is to kind of be in it with the team and facilitate their way through through those discussions, not passively, but kind of sometimes even telling as a, as a coach. Sometimes I, I use Socratic approaches and sometimes I tell because I see some habits that I don't like or I see something that seems obvious. And so that's what I do every, every day. I work, work with teams, sometimes face-to-face, sometimes virtually. Well, yeah, I mean, virtually... You know, with COVID, but yes. mostly you would be in a room with people. Yeah. It's funny when you say smart and healthy, then actually that sounds a lot like what I do, but really we don't do as much of the right. same thing at all. Well, but, but, but at, at, on its, on its, so break it down to the principle level. Right. Right. You're working with human beings and I'm working with human <clears throat> beings. And the success is the same principally. Mm-hmm. The healthy part we just talked about, my recommendation to mom is like, that's the confidence. Right. That's, Knowing, knowing how to show up well every day and work yeah. through those challenges. I do that with teams. And you also have to have, as in, in technology, you have to know, you have, are you a full stack developer? Well, then you have to know a certain level of code. Or are you a UX designer? You have to know the design principles behind what you're doing. So that's a, there's a smart and healthy component to that. Right. We just apply the smart and healthy a little differently than yeah, you really like working with teams in a team environment. And I work in a community environment, but it's more individual based. Right. Okay. So how did you get into that? And then take us back. So we you've been doing this was it six, six years? years. Six okay. years. Give you the like the two minute story and then we'll see okay. if you have follow up questions to it. Okay. But uh the the short story is I was a I was a, a leader and executive at a technology company. And I was not a very good leader. And an education technology company. Education technology. Which we always laugh about because that's my field, but that's what you're doing too. <laughs> uh, and and it, my, my, my training before then was I was a CPA and a banker. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself in this managerial role. I'm managing about 50 people. I'm 30 years old. You were young. I was 30 years old. We had so many kids. <laughs> and and I, like, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And your cousin gave me a book to read. My called, cousin? Yeah, Sam. Gave me a book oh. to read called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. <laughs> oh, I just talked about him the other day. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So he's an executive at Microsoft. Microsoft, right. We were talking about the Microsoft interviewing process and how it's about thinking. It is. Okay. It is. Yeah. And he gave me this book and he's like, hey, this really helps me. We're on your parents' back deck, actually. 
This is so random. I, I totally forgot that you yes. did that. And and so I picked up this book, and it's a fable. It's not like my background as a CPA and a banker. Like I expected a textbook on how to manage, and this is a fable written by this man named Patrick Lencioni, and he uh, he lays out this story about this this really super executive named Catherine. Like she's a superhero. Love her. She's a superhero. Favorite character ever. Yeah, and and, and he walks through walks the story through how she learns to lead, and I thought about all of the five dysfunctions on my team. Um, that I was leading at the time, and mm-hmm. I thought, "Oh my gosh, I am a train wreck of a leader." <laughs> I, like, it, I, I just, I didn't know how to do it, and so I started to work these concepts into my management. Well, divine providence comes into play here. The startup that I was working for and managing in yeah. was purchased by Patrick Lencioni's publisher, and. At some point, I was, because of a strategic initiative that we had going on at the publisher, uh, the CEO of the publisher said, hey, you like Pat, you read his books, go meet Pat and talk to him about the strategic initiative that we want to do. Well, the rest then is history because I did the strategic initiative with him and then I ended up going to work for this firm called The Table Group. That Sam gave you the book for. Right. 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 Like a decade before. It, it is. I, 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 I had forgotten that part. It, I just remember that Craig, the CEO, pulled you in, right? And you, I didn't even know. It, se- it seems made up, yeah. Because like, it's like I go through the chron- yeah. chronology, yeah. like, it, like it's, uh, it's, it seems made up, but, but it's, it is the the whole truth and nothing but. Okay, but one of my questions is, was it easy? So, well, you work for Pat, but you you have your own LLC. That's the way. It's you're one of Fair. Pat's. Last consultants sure. or whatever. Okay, sure. so that's how that works. And but it's so funny. We're like, easy. yeah. So, so he just started do. So he started doing it. <laughs> Remember when right. you started? So I'd never been a consultant before, and and so the only thing I had was the learning experiences from making my own mistakes as a manager and learning to overcome those mistakes. And uh, and it was professionally the hardest thing of that transition was professionally the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I went, I went from being in a role that I'd been in for many years in an environment that I'd been in for many years with people that I'd worked with for many years into this new environment where I had no salary. I'd never done the job before in my life. Most of the job is done alone. So I didn't, it's not like I had, this team of people around me to like go and work with these clients. Mm-hmm. And so I just had to figure it out. You're, you're forgetting the four kids part. Yes. And we had just too. moved here. And I will say this though, you're very humble I, that you had had a lot of success with these, with his strategies. So you had, you had been in an organization. You were also very successful in your organization. You had grown to have 50 people working for you and brought in a ton of revenue for for the organization. So you really believed in these principles. Like it's, I mean, and, and you didn't just believe we're going to talk about how, how we, we both really believe in them yes. and they've worked for us, but tell everyone what you did when you had four kids. This is when I was returning to the workforce. So I was, this is when I was, you know, asking for that $45 an hour. And that might've been a, that might've been one of the pushes where you're like, yeah, that's what you need to make. And you were going to leave a salary job. And what did you do to make that happen? I worked day and night 
trying to figure out how to make the make the job work for us. And I took free or low paying client gigs at the very beginning so I could learn. So I, I will always remember my first, my first gig was with yeah. it was with a church. Yeah. I remember that. My first engagement was a pastor and the pastor's leadership team. Um, if you want to break down the hourly rate, I probably got paid about $8 an hour to do that. Because <laughs> you put so much time and effort in. put so much time and effort into it. I, I work with some friends for free mm-hmm. just to get the experience under my belt to say, here's what I've done. Here's how I've done it. Here, I've seen this, I've seen this before. So I needed to really build up my personal confidence. Mm-hmm. But I also needed to build up my portfolio of work to say that I had actually done some of it before. And so I did that in low risk ways with friends or with low paying clients that were okay with me not being the best consultant in the world. They were, they were happy to just have the help. And so as I started to build up that portfolio of work, it gave me the confidence to then go into an executive team of a bigger organization or a higher paying client and ask for that higher pay yeah, and comfortably deliver on the experience that I was promising. And so as I built up that kind of freebie or low pay portfolio, it, it, my, my, my business just really blossomed. Yeah. Because back to the uh, the point I made earlier about confidence, I was confident enough to go in front of anyone at that point then and say, this really works. Here's a story. Here's an example of something that I've done before. And, and I, I promise you it works. Here's, here, here it is. And from a family standpoint, we saved six months of expenses. We did. And then you worked both jobs for six months. I, that's right. I, about, <laughs> I was like, I I, so I want to make it really like, Yes. I just want to make it really tangible for people. And yes. and then the other part is like, was it easy? Your wife could have been more supportive. So we had changed a lot of jobs and I was just finishing my master's and going back to work and was like, I don't know if I can stomach another transition from you because you are not the greatest transitioner. So I knew that it would be a ton of you feeling yes. like you, you know, putting putting in hours and hours and hours. Yes. And we had these young kids that were fi- finally, I was sending some off to preschool and I was getting my career kind of back on track and off the ground, yeah. which was helpful because your yeah. first year you didn't make, you didn't replace your salary. So well, then. This, but this is where we've always achieved a really good balance. Yeah. Like. Oh, it's gonna. Oh, you keep jumping questions. The, but this, this is where we've always <laughs> achieved this really good balance. It's not like. We've always worked through like, okay, what do we need to do for the family, right? Mm-hmm. And because we both believed in this table group thing, the concepts behind it, like we felt it as a calling. Mm-hmm. You got over your discomfort, your fear, your trepidation. I think I it. said, this is the last one and you're never <laughs> changing jobs again. That is exactly what you said. So Pat, if you're wondering, <laughs> he's never leaving because I told him he couldn't. <laughs> and, and so we, we, we built up we built up the savings. I worked both jobs. So I did my publishing job during the day and I did business development at night. Or, you or I took person. vacation days yeah. to go and consult. So I, I like, I didn't, I don't think I took a vacation for a year. For sure. Just to build up my portfolio in this other job so that when it was time to really press go, 
uh, we were we were ready. Like I had a I had a book of business that I could turn to yeah. that could replace a little bit of my publisher's salary, not all of it. But thankfully, you had ramped up. You had graduated from grad school, and you had ramped up your work. Yeah. And so you had a you had a nice gig, a UX gig, and I and I was and, and it allowed me a little bit of flexibility to take some risk. And then that risk paid off, and, and it's been it's yes. been growth ever since. So we've been really right. grateful for that for both of us. But right, but it wasn't it wasn't it was not easy. Right, and it wasn't an easy decision. So I I just so we're used this, to no sleep. <clears throat> so we're used to no sleep. <laughs> Okay, so speaking of what you do for a living, this next question is funny. The question is, what are your two secret weapon interview questions? And I say that to you because I know you work with a lot of leaders and you've done your own interviews, but actually you have one employee. I picked her. She's amazing. We're so happy that you have her and you don't really interview people for your own um, company. But because you talk to so many leaders and because you've done this, I do want to know what do you think our audience what are two secret weapon questions? So our audience are a lot of times interviewing so like most stressful most stressful part of that yes. process. Yes. What would you what would you say are two really good questions to be prepared for? So two two questions that I love, and they're fairly simple questions. Okay. Um, first one is tell me about the favorite your favorite project you ever worked on and why. Ooh. I never heard that one. Uh, it is a, a fairly simple question. Mm-hmm. People get a little bit overwhelmed by wow yeah, I have to pick my favorite it's like picking my favorite child like I'm, I'm not sure but here but here's the thing here's what I <laughs> right here's what I'm, here's what I'm looking for when I when I ask a question like that mm-hmm. your favorite project I'm looking for specifics I want to know exactly what they've done and oftentimes people in an interview they talk in in, in huge generalities mm-hmm. Well, you know, I worked on this big fun project and we did these few things and we accomplished this, this thing. Right. And, and so what I look for that is an opportunity to continue to get deeper and deeper into what role they played specifically. What did they accomplish? And as I'm asking questions about them individually, I'm looking for we kinds of pronouns, plural pronouns in their answer. Hmm. Because what I want to hear from them is that they didn't do it alone. They had a part to play. And I want to hear the specifics of the part that they played. But I also want to hear how they worked with others. And how they look at it as an, as an accomplishment of a team of people, of a group of people, not of an, as, a, as an individual. Because for me, work gets done always, almost always in teams mm-hmm. or with others. We could, you couldn't do this podcast today without me. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk later at dinner with the kids, we'll say, we did this podcast today. Right. And here's how we did it. And then you can talk about your role in it, and my role in it. And so I'm looking for those kinds of specifics. So as we dive deeper into that, um, in, in, into those questions, we start to learn exactly what skills, behavioral, remember, smart and healthy. The, the smart skills that this person has and the healthy skills that this person has. And so I take that opportunity to ask deeper and deeper questions. Second thing I ask in every interview is, what do you do when you're not getting paid? Oh. Because I want to know what they do for fun, what their passions are. And depending on the role, if, if, I'm, if, if I'm hiring for a highly demanding role, I want to know 
that part of their what they do when they're not getting paid relates to that or how they're taking care of themselves outside yeah. of work to start to hear uh, I'll give you a, a prime example. I interviewed someone once, and all of the examples they gave me outside of life, outside of work, were things they did individually. I go for runs. I do scrapbooking. Uh, all of these, all of these individual examples, mm-hmm. and so it gave me a it gave me an opportunity to ask a deeper question because they were going to be a part of a team. And I'd say, okay, so you do those things. Why? And they expressed that they needed, they need, it gave them time to think. Their life is very busy and filled with people and they're an introvert and it gave them time to be away. It's not that they don't like people. They just needed time to recharge. And I think, wow, that person's thoughtful. That, that person understands what it takes to recharge. They're not just an individual, which you can draw at a conclusion is that they're very individually focused. No. They did that so that they could recharge to be productive in, in the environments that they were in. So it's like, oh my gosh, they did this for others. So what so, do you do and why? Right, exactly. What do you find most challenging about raising our children? I think, so we have five. <laughs> um, we keep saying that, so we'll like remember. I have, <laughs> well, I, I have to, I, I have to, it's not the remembering part, it's the we have five right like that is our reality and like to to like come to terms with that reality and and i to me the hardest thing is to balance creating a consistent family culture Mm -hmm. what do we want our family to be about but also giving our kids the individual attention they need so is that the challenge that is the that is a huge challenge like how do you show maybe that's not a challenge for you oh my gosh you're kidding us okay of course so when I, when I think about like, okay, we're at the dinner table, we're all there and we're all talking and it's complete chaos. And like, what are we talking about? How are we talking about it? Like, I want our kids to like, let's talk about something that matters. Are we talking about it the right way? Are we talking about people in, in, in ways that are unkind? Like, what's that family dynamic? Right. But then like, is our eight-year-old getting a chance to speak? And when he does... What is he speaking about? Are we showing him Plants individual? Yes. Are we showing him individual attention? And, and that that balance is really, really difficult. Right. Because otherwise they won't feel loved. And that's our, our primary job as a, as parents. Yeah. Is to is to make sure that they are loved. And they know that they are loved every morning, every day, every night. Right. Yeah. It's it's a big challenge. I we have five so we can say it's so overwhelming, but I, I'm sure it's really hard if you have two, like to make right. that child feel loved. Yes. Some, sometimes, sometimes they just don't, you know, they're in a funk or, or sometimes they're frustrating you. It presents a different, Yeah. A, a, every family dynamic presents a different challenge. I'm taking my, I'm taking my, taking our 13 year old to <laughs> volleyball and we're alone in the car. Right. It's a different dynamic. Yeah. Am I, am I paying attention to her? Am I not? Am I paying too much attention to her? Am I asking her such invasive questions that she just takes out her phone and texts her friends? Mm-hmm. Like that's a yeah, that's an entirely different dynamic. Yeah, that's really hard. Okay, how do we, you and I, stay connected? And do we do a good job of that? Recency bias. The answer is no. We don't do a good job <laughs> of doing that. But we talk a lot at three in the morning. We do. <laughs> we do. So we we in our in our in our recent past prior to. 
having a newborn in our life. We have a number of things that we do. This may be the most important thing that we do is stay connected because of all of the, you have a, you have a demanding schedule with your work. Right. I have a demanding schedule with my work. And then we have kids and in the primacy of that. And so we prioritize time, family time. It's one of, it's one of the things that we check in on every week. So Sunday nights, you and I, we get together. So yeah. So talk about this. So, so yeah, do the whole thing. Sunday nights, we get together and we have a, this is going to sound really nerdy. We have a family. Super nerdy. We have a family scoreboard. Um, but it's from Pat. You need to tell them. Yes. Yeah. So there's a, there's a book about the frantic family. Three questions for three, a frantic three family. questions for a frantic family, and it and it lays out a way to, to the premise behind the book is well we run our work lives in a certain way and then we're just willy nilly with our family but our family is actually the most important organization we're part of like that by far will be our biggest legacy and impact in the world and so we take the concept from this book as you come up with a family score and this is Pat's book this is another yes. Patrick Lanciotti book so yes. this is where I say like we are all in on the work that yes. you do because we don't just, I mean, we live it. Right. We like literally live it. So, so if you're watching the video. Yeah. If you're watching the video, we've got, we've got seven years of family scoreboard. And we have to take, like, this doesn't show everything. It doesn't show everything. No, we have to take it out and then refill it. But, but we did like, for example, before Gwen was born, we, we came up with a family scoreboard and it was get ready for Gwen. And, and we had, we had one, two, three, four, five, six things that we monitored as we were getting ready for Gwen. Do we have the supplies that we need? Do we have a manageable calendar? Is the house ready? Did we secure daycare? Are we helping the other kids transition? And are we taking care of mom? Like, and we, Ellen and I would get together every Sunday night and we would go over these things. And if you think it takes a long time, it doesn't. It's like red, yellow, green, red, yeah, yellow, green. Five minutes or so of kind of a conversation that we would create a battle plan for the next week. Right. Like what are the things that we're not doing well and how, how do we need to change ourselves for the next week? And then we have a calendar review. So we go over our calendar for the week and who does what. So are you driving the kids? Am I driving the kids? Oh, I've got a meeting at one o'clock on Tuesday. Can you take care of Gwen? Like we kind of try to talk through our week and balance, balance all out. And we have a, we have a visual whiteboard in our kitchen. So the kids can see it. We can see it. If the grandparents come and help out, we can show them the, we can show them the board. Right. So that's a, those are like kind of more structural ways that we stay connected, but we've also always done a walk at least once a week. But we used to do them on Friday mornings. Friday mornings. Because right. we would, because people didn't want to meet on Friday mornings. We right. found right. so we're like, okay, fine, we're, right. we'll do it. So we drop off the kids at school and then yeah. go for a walk. And the general rule was we can't talk about the kids. We have to talk about us and our relationship. Yeah. That has we we actually increased the frequency of that over the last year during COVID because so many things were changing is that like we would take a walk every night. Right. And then once, you know, we got to a certain point in your pregnancy where you weren't feeling that well, we didn't <laughs> we didn't walk as much. But. Oh, Gwen doesn't like that. Yeah, Gwen was like we couldn't walk that much. Right. So we stay connected by walking and talking and not talking about the kids, which is yes. super hard. Yes. And then we have our calendar so we know where the Sunday night routine. Right. Totally. I want to talk more a little bit more about three questions because yeah. so we don't have the book to show you because we would just give it away to people. We kept buying it and giving it away. That's our thing. But the other piece to it is that we would have we have our standard objectives, which is like 
Yes. What are we always taking care of? So those are things like our faith and our house and the, and our marriage is one of those things. Yes. So we rate it. Every week. Right, right. now or every week. Right. And, right. and we change that. So this is like our, I call it the rallying cry. You call it. Yeah. You call rallying it? cry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the name. I know. Yeah. That's kind of the official name so of different people. Like the rallying cry was the get ready for Gwen right. thing. And those, like, is the house ready? Do we have the supplies? And then there are the standard things that we look after every week, like how's our faith, how's our marriage, yeah. um, how's our health, yeah. that we talk about, how's our house, the, the standard things that kind of get in the way of getting prepared for Gwen. But the thing, the big takeaway from that, I would say, is that we are, we do certain, we put certain tasks on there and the red, yellow, green is like, we have to say no yes. to other things right. in order to make progress on that. So when we do it, when we look through the lens, you're being a fussy fusser tense, aren't you? Yeah. When we, um, when we look at those tasks or the, when we look at the objectives, it necessarily requires that we say no to other things. It does. And I feel like that was really, that's what I love. That's what's freeing for me. As I remember in three questions, the book, when Pat writes about it, he says that you, it's again a fable and this family the wife is like i just want to run away to an island and, and i'm like yeah that's totally me i watch Caribbean life on saturday mornings i want to run away to an island and then nobody will text me or call me or there won't be any more carpools or whatever and then that will solve it all but really what's so great is that um it's almost like giving us permit i mean you don't need permission I'm, i don't think saying no is that hard for you but for me it was i don't know if it still is for, for me, for me, it's different. It is. I'm not. I'm not a great communicator. Natural introvert. Do a lot of things on my own. Always have. And for me, this is an opportunity that I don't. I don't miss telling you things like the, walk, the walks and the scoreboard. It brings a level of accountability for me to make sure that. I'm saying like, hey, the plumber is coming on Tuesday. Right. And or gosh, you know, we went through this during the week and I forgot to tell you some things during the week. And so we're red on marriage. And, you know, there's a reason why I slept on the couch. On <laughs> so <laughs> just to get so it, it just it allows us that opportunity for a little bit of a accountability. Sounds like a weird word in a family, but it's for me, it, it helps me to be a, a better husband. And for me, being the extrovert, and I just see you, and then I want to tell you everything, and I'm like, well, I'll just tell you every single thing. Right. And then you're totally overwhelmed. I can say, okay, is this the easy tip, kiddo? Is this the most important thing that we're focused on? Right. And then back to the no thing. Yeah. Right. And then and then I can and then I can filter. Sure. And and then like you were making jokes about sleeping on the couch. I mean, I think the point is we're nerds, but also this is not a perfect science. It is not. It's totally messy. It like is, it is messy. Like when Stuckerberg is <laughs> I mean, it's a messy process, but I think it's also enabled us to really um, just I don't know, give ourselves permission to do different things. Focus on your health. Focus on your business. Focus on my business, and it's mostly on me, especially when I'm pregnant and all that stuff. When we, but we would pick. We would do focus on Gwen. Focus on a child. Focus on one of us. Which, as a parent of five, like. I think it's really hard to pick, hey, we're going to focus on one person for four to six weeks. Right. I feel like without that, I, I wouldn't do that. Right. Right. You know? Well, so the point is here on the, on, on the rally cry is that it is temporary. Yeah. And, and, and it helps. I can't imagine going through some of the life transitions that we've gone through. Right. Like, 
moving from Illinois to North Carolina, yeah, right. buying a house in North Carolina, having a baby, right. sending a child off to high school, like right. all these things have been rally cries for us. And it helps helps us like name the things that are going to be challenging about our transitions and work through them together. Right. So that's the thing when you talk about balance, you know, some people are like, oh, I hate the work-life balance. There's no balance. There's whatever. I, I mean, we are so not perfect. <laughs> it's like, I'm not coming. We're not coming to you like the, we are. There's a lot first. of red on our score. Right. Totally. Yeah. But yeah. I love these tools because I, they bring me some peace. Yeah. The walk, the rallying cry, the calendar. There's some amount of peace that's going on to know. I getting everything done is not the goal, right? And it never will all get done. And that's the that's really what I want to say is like I just want to share those tools, and I wanted you to share those tools because it's been really impactful in our life. So thank you, Pat. Yeah. Right. So you you can see for just real quick for your for yeah. the audience, like you can see like okay, maybe a rally cry for you is mom's going back to work. And so the rally cry is support mom and going back to work. Yeah. So what are the things that the family needs to do and mom needs to do yeah. to help make this transition smooth? I love it. And and just talk through five or six big things that make the most impact on successful transition back to work. Oh. So just something to think about might be helpful for you. It's really helped us. I think Wendy's done. Yeah, I think we're done. Wendy's <laughs> <laughs> like, you are totally right. You were a good girl. You did a great job. Okay. All right. Is there anything else you want to say? Thank you for having me. It's <laughs> Thank you. It'll be interesting to see if this is uh, a popular episode, but I hope it was helpful to you guys. And we really appreciate you being with the three of us. All right. Bye. Bye. Talk to you next time. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at youartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.